that was my moment when I went, I don't have to do that anymore. I'm a lesbian. Welcome to the I Did Not Sign Up For This podcast show dedicated to highlighting the incredible stories of everyday people. No topic is off limits. Join me as we explore the lives and experiences of guests through thought-provoking, unscripted conversations. And if you enjoy this show and would like to support this podcast, consider joining my Patreon. You'll gain instant access to over 70 exclusive bonus episodes, entries into giveaways, a discount on merch, and more. Your support allows me to continue bringing you these important stories. So head over to patreon.com slash I did not sign up for this and become part of the community. I'm your host, Carling, a Canadian queer-identifying 30-something-year-old, providing a platform for the stories that need to be heard. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Good. Well, I've been super excited to chat with you. We first met on our journey with Keynote Queers. Since then, like, I think we all kind of just like follow each other online and keep up with what we're doing, which is so great. So I'm really excited to hear your story because this is an area that I find really fascinating, not only coming out stories, but when it sort of is woven in within a lot of religion. I think it's really interesting. So I would love it if you could introduce yourself, say, you know, who you are, where you're from, what you do, and then we'll find where your story starts. Cool. Yes. My name is Kathy Kiger and I live in Texas, which as a queer person is a little challenging. And I am a copywriter. So that basically means that I am a marketer. I help people, mostly solopreneurs, small businesses, build their audience and take their clients on the journey from stranger to paying customer as quickly and authentically as possible. So that's what I do for work. Yeah. And my story, you know, if you'd asked me five years ago what my story was, I would have told you it was as a Christian single mom. And if you'd asked me 10 years before that, or five years before that, I would have told you it's a, the story of a Christian homeschooling mom. And now that is not my story at all. So I started off, I grew up religious and, you know, went to church every week. My, one of my favorite weeks was always when daylight savings time, trying to think it was in the spring when daylight savings time kicked in and my parents would miss it. And we would show up at church an hour late and then we'd get to just leave because my parents were too embarrassed. So, but yeah, I was in church my whole life. You know, it was very in in Texas. So it was a very like, it was before we used the word evangelical, but that's really what it was. It was Baptist and, you know, quote unquote, non-denominational. There was never any doubt in my mind that gay people were the worst possible people. I learned that. I remember learning things from at home. I remember learning things at church that showed me that, you know, because a murderer, like, yeah, they sinned like big, but they can like repent and get forgiven and all those things. But a gay person, they continue on in their sin. And so God eventually, like I grew up believing that gay people got, those are the ones God just gave up on because they would not... They were persistent in their sin and they were like, sort of like a slapping God's face or whatever, because they were so, so far down into the depths of sin. And so as a kid, I was actually afraid of San Francisco because that's where the gay people are. Oh no. Right? Yeah. Um, And I also had a crush on my third grade teacher, Miss Price. So it was, you know, 
a very, there was a lot of cognitive dissonance going on there. But, you know, so I grew up religious. I went to college and stepped away from religion a little bit, as so many of us do. And then I got in trouble for it. My parents figured out I had stopped going to church. And my dad, he's he's no longer living, but he was someone I, I really admired and looked up to and respected. And I wanted to please him. And I wanted him to be proud of me. And so when he took me out to dinner and told me he was concerned about how I was doing spiritually, it really hit me hard. And so I was like, yeah, I should go back to church. So I started going back to church. And then when I went to grad school, I actually moved to California to get my um, master's degree at USC. While I was out there, you know, you moved to a new state. I knew one person in the entire state of California. So I was lonely and trying to find my way. And I ended up getting pulled into a, I would call it a high control church. You could call it a cult if you wanted to. But, and so basically I just doubled down on my religion and got really passionate about it and absolutely believed that this group, we were going to change the world and we were going to help everybody. And it was that kind of experience where it wasn't like there was nothing nefarious or like world domination in it. It was like, we just wanted to help people. And I felt like I was on this fantastic mission. And so, and you would have been like early twenties at this point. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Probably 20. I think I was 22, 21, maybe when I did that. And so, you know, because I've always been a seeker and helper and wanting to make a difference and all those things. And so it, felt like this perfect combination of the, the quote unquote right way to do that. And so I just bought into that whole stereotype. I became, you know, the, the Christian woman. And then I got married and my whole life I had worried that I wouldn't be able to get married for whatever reason. And now when I look back, I understand because I'm a lesbian But at the time I didn't understand. I just thought men do not like me. I just like, I get so nervous and uncomfortable around them and dating was miserable. And I never understood why. And I always just thought there's just something wrong with me and I don't know what it is. And I was so worried because I grew up believing that my, the role of a woman was to get married and have babies. And that's what I was raised with just really intense patriarchy and It wasn't, but I didn't see it as a repression. I saw it as this noble thing that was pleasing God and it would keep society the way it was supposed to be and all those things. And, you know, I know better now, obviously, but yeah, so I was so worried I wouldn't be able to get married that when an opportunity came up, I jumped on it. And I I mean, I really liked him. I think we would have been really good best friends, but I got married and just really doubled down into the whole Christian thing and That was when, you know, the Duggars are really in the news right now, right? The shiny, happy people documentary came out not that long ago. And now one of the Duggar daughters, Jill, just like published a book, which is really good, by the way. I read it. If you're at all. Have you read it? I want to. Yeah. It's, it's, I really enjoyed it. Actually, it was very interesting. You get kind of an inside story and there were definitely some jaw dropping, holy shit kind of moments in it where I was like, I did not know that. So anyway, but so I looked at them and I really thought, gosh, that's, if I could be like that, then my life would be better because I didn't know it at the time, but I married an alcoholic and along with his alcoholism, he got, I mean, he was 
he was not good. He would disappear for days at a time. He would, he spent all our money on strip clubs and would like hide everything from me. And it was a very difficult existence. And so I thought if we could be more religious, because then I looked at the Duggars and now this, this doesn't age well, but I looked at the Duggars and I thought the women in those families don't have these problems because their husbands are so pure and holy. Right. And now we know that that is absolute bullshit because Josh Duggar is doing what, 12 years in prison for really, really bad stuff. Not Um, long enough. Yeah. So, but at the time I, I believed their illusion that they put on TV. So anyway, so I tried to be that mom. I literally ground my own weed and baked my own bread and homeschooled my kids. And like, yeah, I I was all in on that. And so wild. Yeah. And then anytime the gay would start creeping up, because of course it did at various times over the years, I would just push it down in Christian harder because that was just something I could not face. Because again, I had learned that that was the worst possible thing you could be. And it was so important to me to be a good girl and to do things right and to please my parents and to please my God. And so the idea of being one of those people was just something I couldn't. I just couldn't even consider. Is that how you thought of it? Like, did you recognize it for what it was? Or was it not until later when you reflected back on it that you realized it was like a same-sex attraction? You know, there were moments where I realized it. When I was in high school, I was in love with a girl. And I kind of knew, I understood that on some level at the time. But I just didn't, I just tried not to really think about it too much. And I just once, and then once she graduated, she was older than me. And once she graduated, I just set that aside and went on with my life. And then I remember having a moment where when I was in that high control church thinking, wow, I'm so glad I became a Christian because if I hadn't, I might've ended up a lesbian. Oh no. (laughs) So I always on some level, I think knew that that was there, but I didn't, I don't know. And then, okay. So I was, I saw a video one time, this must've been really early YouTube. I don't remember when YouTube came out, but it was a video compilation where someone had taken little moments from game shows, like all these really funny moments from game shows and put strung them all together. And so I ended up watching this. It was pretty like a 13 minute video, but I sat through the whole thing. And then as you were getting to the end, There was a moment in a game show, and I don't remember the name of the game show, but it's where one person would give the other one clues and they had to guess the word, right? But the person who was giving the clues couldn't say, there were certain words they couldn't say. And so the, the word that they were trying to guess was Birkenstock. And so the guy who gave the clue, he just goes straight into those ugly shoes that lesbians wear. And the person immediately got there like Birkenstocks. And for some reason, I thought that was the funniest thing I had ever heard, ever. When I got to college, I started wearing Birkenstocks. And I don't know how related that was, but literally, I've only worn Birkenstocks for like 30 years. So... Um, I Listen, they're a very practical, comfortable shoe. They are. And I... Like, just, if lesbians are going to claim a shoe, I'm glad it's Birkenstocks. I know, right? But yeah, no. <laughs> In college, I... You know, there were moments... Where I had a, a clue, I literally wore my Birkenstocks to an Indigo Girls concert in college. Oh boy, Indigo Girls was my <laughs> favorite band. So I look back, I'm like, well, duh. But I wasn't able to see that it wasn't safe. My brain did not feel safe recognizing it because 
being gay was the most unsafe thing you could be. So, you know, I went on with my life. I had four kids. I tried to manage this marriage to an alcoholic. Finally, enough was enough. And he was actually, we're coming up. My birthday is tomorrow as we're recording this. And it will be the 15th anniversary of the end of my marriage. He literally, like the last time I saw him was on my birthday. He ended up ruining my birthday because he got drunk. And then he left for work Uh, the next day. And I think he was so embarrassed and so humiliated and felt so terrible that he didn't come home for a week. And prior to that, when he would disappear, because he would do that, usually for a day or two at a time, and he would go to work. It's not like he disappeared off the planet. He's disappeared from our home. And Mm. so I would normally call and call and call and call and call and text him and try to find him. And for some reason, that was just the straw. And I didn't call him. I didn't text him. He heard nothing from me. And so finally, a week later, he called me and asked if he could come home. And I said, no. So then I was a single mom, but I was still trying to hold on to that Christian ideal. I was homeschooling my kids as a single mom, which sucked, by the way, (laughs) because, you know, I was like, how do you make money? Yeah. So I, well, my degrees, actually, I'm a writer now, but my degrees are in music. And so I was teaching piano. And that's how I made money, homeschooling my kids in the morning, teaching piano in the afternoon. I had no support at all. I got no child support. I had no parenting support. It was just me. And so that was a really challenging time. I did that for a few years. Then I decided I couldn't do it anymore. And so I got a teaching certification and taught elementary school for several years before I had enough of that, because that also is a very toxic environment. And so I quit that to actually become, I've had quite the career journey to become a nutritionist. I got certified a functional nutritional therapy practitioner. And then I figured out I didn't want to work one-on-one with nutrition clients, but I really loved writing. And so I started writing for other nutritionists and dietitians. And that's what I do today. Wow. Yeah. So, but I, you know, so I just was going on with my life as a single mom. I went for years, over a decade without dating because, you know, I was focused on my kids. I was focused on supporting them. And honestly, I just didn't, I had no interest in dating. I went on two dates with men over that time with Christian men, and they were both absolutely horrible. One of them, I went out with this guy and he was very, I mean, he was very nice and he was considerate and he was like, let's you know, I know you have kids, so it might be awkward if I pick you up for a first date. Let's just meet there and we'll go somewhere casual so that it's comfortable and it doesn't, it doesn't feel like there's pressure. And so we were at this like little pizza place having dinner and I was looking at him across the table and I was thinking, could I, I mean, would I want to kiss him? And the thought was just repulsive. And I was like, no, yuck. And so oh, that was no. what we went on that one date. And he wanted to take, like, at the end of the night, he's like, I'd really like to take you on this fancy date to the symphony and all this. And I was like, I'll get back to you, <laughs> you know, so, but that was, that was the end of that. When you decided to end your marriage, was there a lot of support from your community and family? Yeah, it's interesting because I was still in California at the time and the high control group that I was a part of prided themselves on, we've never had a divorce in this church. And so it was very taboo. And I remember seeing us, there was a single mom in the church and I wouldn't even talk to her because I felt like it was like contagious or something. Like I was scared of her (gasps) because I think on some level I knew that 
we were doomed eventually. But no, they they boasted that. But if one of the people left the church, they called it falling away because, of course, you couldn't be a Christian if you weren't in this particular church. So there were people that had that experience. And that was what I ended up being like, of course, he his life was a disaster and he just disappeared. And so so I did actually have some support from that church which I really appreciated. I showed up at church one time and I was just sitting by myself and I just, this was like a week after he was gone or two weeks. And I just felt so alone. One of the women's ministry leader and one of my really good friends saw me and they both came over. I haven't talked about this in years. It's making me a little emotional. They both came over and one sat on either side of me so that I didn't feel alone. I was living so far away from my family. And I thought, I think it would be better if I lived by my family. And so I left California and came to Texas and that church had like a branch in Texas. So I'm like, I can just slip right into there. They, you know, they'll, they'll take me in really quickly. I'll, you know, it'll be fine. Cause it's always a really close group and my family's here. It'll be great. And then I got here and I was so alone. The church was terrible. They just did not treat me well. It was very cliquish and I was not invited in. Mm. And then my family was not they weren't supportive at all. It was really weird. I was so shocked. I think my mom was afraid that I was going to expect too much of her because here's this very needy single mom. I mean, my oldest was what, 10? My youngest was a year and a half. And so, you know, so I came out here and so I had, I found one friend who also taught the same piano method that I taught, but I was very much on my own. And I had to just figure it all out myself. I never had anybody to watch my kids and I was homeschooling. So I had them 24 hours a day with no break ever. And so it was actually, it was really hard. That sounds impossibly hard with the added layer of there's something really like when I hear stories of how religious group kind of toss away people who, who maybe like have had something happen and they no longer fit the mold. It's It just sounds like what a lonely, isolating place because you've given everything to this group. And then in your hour of need, they're sort of like, oh, that doesn't really fit with us anymore. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I think the group in California, because they knew me really well, stuck by me. But when I came to Dallas, they didn't know me. And I was just this needy single mom who got divorced and they really didn't want that much to do with me. I mean, they were friendly to me and I was invited to things occasionally, but I never felt like a part of the group. But that was good because I started to see how toxic it really was. And so I was able to, it was actually when my oldest was like 12, their indoctrination process, which of course they didn't call it that. They had a series of Bible studies that you would do to become a member of the church. My oldest daughter started talking about wanting to do that. And I, you know, (laughs) when you have an unfiltered thought, just pop out before you can stop it. And I was like, no, they are not indoctrinating my daughter. And I was like, wow, where did that come from? Wow. And so when I saw her starting on the path that I had been on, I was like, no. And so we left and that was really hard because I fully believed that I would not be sick, quote unquote, saved anymore. If I was not a part of that church, I had a lot of that's when it is a thing now, right? People are deconstructing their religious beliefs, which if you're, if anybody's listening is not familiar with that is, that's when you look at what you were taught 
and you question all of it and you decide what you actually believe, you separate what you were told to believe from what you actually believe. And different people land different places with that. A lot of people end up atheist from that. A lot of people end up, you know, progressive Christianity from that. So I started deconstructing before deconstructing was a thing. I didn't know what it was. And so I did not leave Christianity, but I changed. I realized that I didn't have to buy into the toxic belief system that I had learned in that church. So we went to a more, I'd say a very conservative, but normal church for several years. And eventually I started feeling like that wasn't going to work for me. My kids were in the youth group and they would come home. One in particular would come home from like Wednesday night youth group. So pissed because they would have like talked about gay people and how horrible gay people are. And they had all these friends that were queer at church and they would come home so upset because of how their friends were treated. And so I started to, it started to just, I, it made me start to think about the whole thing. Like why do Christians hate gay people so much? I was just like, it doesn't make sense to me because it's just like, it's still love. Like, why is that the thing that's so terrible and you're ignoring all these really real terrible issues. And that was before I was even recognizing some of the, I don't know, the racism and the white privilege, the um, cultural appropriation and all those things that I didn't understand at all at the time that I better understand now. I was just like, why, why are they picking that issue? That doesn't make any sense. And so I think that's when I started to, loosen up on those beliefs a little bit. And I started to just make the tiniest bit of space for myself. And it still took years from that point. But I, I, I had, I had a huge crush on Rachel Maddow and I didn't call it that of course, but I never missed her show. Like I would come home from teaching and I would go sit on my bed and I, and I would turn it, I would watch the one I'd record it from the night before. And I watched it every single day and I would never miss it. And I thought I was just super into the news, which was, I mean, she's a brilliant storyteller and really, it really (laughs) is a good show, but yeah, no, I had a crush on Rachel Maddow. So, you know, those things, they started to kind of creep in. And then like for so many women and I'm sure people in general, when COVID hit and we were isolated, I couldn't go to church anymore. I couldn't be around my family anymore. I started off like watching church online dutifully because I just felt like that's what I was supposed to do. Like I had always gone to church. It never felt okay to not go to church, but I started realizing like I'd start turning it on a little late. And then I would like make sure I had my breakfast with me. So I kind of had something to do. And then I realized I was actually like falling asleep. During, oh, no. during it. So I stopped watching for a few weeks. I'm like, I should, I should go back. So I turned it on and it was like, I say an episode. It was, the service was about outreach and helping other people become Christians. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. And so I turned it off and I went away from it for a while. And then I came, okay, I should watch it again. So I turned it back on and it was about, I think it was about the, it was either about the same thing or it was about like money, like giving. And I was like, nah, I'm done. And so that's kind of when I stopped with church and I was at the time in a mentorship for building my business. It was a very unusual mentorship, but this mentor held space for me to finally recognize who I am. We got on a call. We had one-on-one calls. This was our second call. And this is someone I'd known her before. This wasn't, we weren't strangers when I started this mentorship, but we got on the call and she said, this is really strange, 
But my guides, just very woo-woo, she said, my guides are telling me that I need to ask you about your sexuality. And it was the most uncomfortable conversation I've ever had in my life. It was about 10 minutes. And I was determined that I was going to sit there and have this conversation. Like everything in me wanted to just run away or change the subject or whatever. And so she was very, like, she just asked questions. She didn't anything. It was just like, so do you date or different things like that? It was very uncomfortable. At the time I had decided that maybe I should start dating. This was at the very beginning of 2021. And so I was like, I saw, watched, saw my daughter who was, I think, 21 at the time. And she was like, you know, this, she's a, this gorgeous power lifter with this just cloud of men following her around all the time. And I was like, I never got to do that. Like, I want to have hot years. She's having hot years. And so I thought, maybe <laughs> I'll start dating. And so I told this mentor, I'm like, yeah, I think I should, I think I should date. And she's like, this word should is a little concerning to me. And I hadn't even thought about the fact that I was trying to force myself to do something I didn't want to do. So anyway, we finished that conversation and I felt terrible. I just felt really yucky emotionally. And so the whole rest of the day, I felt terrible. I went to bed. I still felt terrible. I got up in the morning. I still felt terrible. I literally could not look at myself in the mirror and I did not understand what was happening. I just knew I felt awful. And so I did this meditation that just it helped me feel better. It just helped me recognize that maybe there was something going on that I wasn't seeing. Like I realized I was walled off in some way, but I didn't understand what it was. That afternoon, I was part of a writing group and there was a Facebook group for this writing program I was in. And every Friday afternoon, we would have a Q&A with the mentor. She would get onto a Facebook Live. And so I got into the Facebook group a few minutes early for the Q&A. And I just started scrolling to see what people had posted. And what we would do as new writers, people would write an article on Medium or on their blog or whatever. And then they would post it in the group so that we could support and critique each other. And so I was flipping through to see what articles people had posted. And there was an article I swear to God, called, am I a lesbian? And I clicked on that article before I even knew what I was doing. And I started to just, I don't know if you've ever frantically read something, but I frantically read this article and I was reading it so fast and I was just, oh shit, oh shit, as I'm reading this article because I absolutely saw myself in what she was saying. And then at the end of the article, she referenced the CompHet Master Doc And if anybody is not familiar with that, whether you're gay, straight or whatever, or not sure, I think this is a valuable read for anyone because it really dives into why we assume everyone is straight. It's called compulsory heterosexuality, meaning that everybody is straight until proven otherwise. Those of us who are not straight oftentimes try to fit ourselves into the straight box. And this document is all about how we do that and what that might look like. And so I started, I couldn't even, I was freaking out at this point, of course, and it's a long document, it's like 35 pages or something. So I skipped to, there's like a TLDR section at the end with bullet points. And I started just reading the bullet points. And by the end of it, I was laughing. I was like, oh my God, this is totally me. So I put that away and I was just kind of marveling going, lesbian? Like, is that lesbian? Is that possible? And I was like, I don't need to make a big declaration. I'm just going to be open to the possibility 
that maybe this is a thing for me. And so I just went on with my day. I went to the gym and I'm driving down the street on the way to the gym going, lesbian? Like, what? <laughs> and I was, nah, I mean, probably not. I mean, probably not. And so I got to the gym and the gym that I go to has a track on the second floor and you have a view of the entire gym from this track. And I would always go and walk on the track. There's windows, you know, and it's, it's really lovely. But one thing that I hadn't realized I did was mentioned in this article. And that is that if you are a lesbian, but you're trying to convince yourself that you're straight, you will go into an environment where they're, you know, where they're strangers and you will pick out a man, some random man to convince yourself you're attracted to. And as I'm walking on this track, I realized I was doing that automatically. I looked down at the gym and I was without even realizing what I was doing, trying to find some dude to think, yeah, he's really cute. And that was in that moment when I realized that's what I was doing. That was my moment when I went, I don't have to do that anymore. I'm a lesbian. It was like someone flipped on the light and I went home and with my religious background, you would think I would be upset or freaking out, but my brain had protected me until I was ready to see it. And so mm -hmm. I felt like this thousand pound weight had been lifted off my shoulders. I had been trying to be someone I wasn't for decades to the point of getting married and having four kids and baking my own bread and homeschooling and really digging in to being as far from a gay person as I possibly could. And it just felt like that weight had been lifted off my shoulders. And by that night, I literally, I popped my head, my earbuds in and I turned on my happy music and I was literally dancing around my apartment. And my kids are looking at me like, what on earth are you doing? Because I had never done that before <laughs> ever. And my kids are looking at me like I am insane. And I said, I'm okay. <laughs> I'll tell you later. So yeah, I call it my holy shit. I'm a lesbian day. That was just when everything changed. And then for the next few months, it was about processing that. And really, I kind of went back through my whole life, not intentionally, but I would just remember things and go, oh, I liked her. Oh, that's why I was jealous of this boyfriend. Oh, that's, you know, and it was just all these like revelations for the next few days. It was really interesting. I love that. It is interesting to when you relook at your life through a, a clearer lens and identifying like I had so many friendship crushes, I called them, mm -hmm. where I like couldn't figure out why I just like wanted to be her best friend and be just like her. No, I just wanted to be with her. Yes, yes many, many of those. <laughs> and so then what was your process of coming out socially? And how do you start navigating the lesbian world? There was a lot of processing that came with that and regret. I had worked so hard to be, to do things right throughout my whole life. And then looking back, realizing that all the things that I was trying so hard to do right were actually the things that I wouldn't say ruined my life, but sent me in the wrong direction. As far as coming out, the first person I came out to was that mentor. And so we got on our call the next week and she said, do you want to talk about last week at all? And I said, yeah, I'm a lesbian. And she was like, okay. She's like, I thought so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, but she was lovely and she actually cried on that call because she was so honored that I trusted her with that information. And so my first coming out moment 
was really lovely. And I wish everyone could have a first coming out moment like I had. But from there, the next big hurdle was telling my kids. They were all teenagers and young adults by then. They all had queer friends. I had mentioned that they would come home from church really upset about how the queer kids were treated. And it pissed me off too. And so I would tell them, I'm like, if any of your queer friends need an adult, because of course, a lot of them, their parents weren't accepting of them or they weren't out to their parents. And so I'm like, if any of them ever need an adult to look them in the eye, tell them they are fine exactly how they are and give them a hug, bring them to me. And so I knew that my kids would be okay with me being gay, but I thought it might be really weird for them because I'm mom. You know what I mean? So I sat all my kids down. We were in a little circle in the living room. I get a lump in my throat remembering because I was so nervous. I was so nervous. And so I sat them all down. I'm like, I have something I need to tell y'all. And then I just got stuck and I sat there and I could not speak. And they're looking at me wide eyed, like, what is it? And I thought, okay, they have no idea what I'm going to say. They might think I'm going to tell them I'm dying. So I'm like, I'm not dying or anything. Yeah. They're like, okay, what is it? And I just, I just could not spit the words out. And finally, my oldest daughter was like, mom, just say it. And so I was like, ah, I'm a lesbian. And it was total silence for about 10 seconds. And then that same oldest daughter looks around the circle and she goes, well, should we all just come out now? And they went around the circle and three out of the four children are queer. And that's definitely not what I pictured when I thought about what was going to happen when I came out to my kids. But when I look back at parenting, you know, as moms, we're really hard on ourselves. It's very easy for me to look at the things that I feel like I did wrong. But when I look back, that is one of my proudest parenting moments because it is so hard to get up the nerve to come out to your parents, even if they're accepting people. And I, my kids weren't sure how I would be by coming out to them first and having them just all come out all at once. It was so safe for them and they didn't have to plan it and they didn't have to figure out how they, they just, it was like ripping a bandaid off. They didn't even realize it was coming and then it was done. And I just, one of my kids, I watched them that evening. I've never seen them so happy and carefree as they were that evening. And they just, I mean, they were just floating around our apartment with the biggest grin on their face. And they're like, can I tell my friends? And I was like, yeah, that's fine. I don't care. They were so excited to go tell their friends because I was the cool mom anyway, because I was the one who was like, hey, come to me if you need some affirmation. So that went well. It was still COVID really. It was early 2021. So we had a coming out party, a family coming out party, and it was just us, right? It was just me and the four kids. And we, it was super fun. We had the gayest playlist we could find and rainbow everything. And one of my daughters, when we were sitting in that circle and everybody came out, she told me, she's like, I actually have a pride flag in my closet that one of my friends gave me. And so for the coming out party, she got out her pride flag. We used it as a tablecloth and we had every rainbow thing to eat you could imagine. And it was just this really fun, affirming experience, I think, for all of us. And then from there, I came out slowly because I realized one of the things that my mentor taught me was that coming out is for me. It's not for the person I'm coming out to. I don't owe anybody an explanation. I don't owe anybody shit. 
this is about me. And so if I felt safe coming out to someone or if it was someone I really wanted to know for whatever reason, I would come out, but otherwise I wouldn't. And so I came out really slowly and that ended up being a really good choice for me personally. You know, I never came out on social media or did any of that stuff. And for the most part, my coming out experiences were really good. I came out to a religious friend. She's my best friend. And I was very nervous about coming out to her because I had remembered homophobic things she has said, had said over the years because she also was very religious, but I just felt like she's one of my best friends and it's just not going to be an authentic relationship if I, if she doesn't know this about me now that I know this about me. So I was really nervous. We were on the phone. And so I told her and I swear she did not even take a breath. She did not stop to think. I said, I'm gay. And she right in that second said, well, then I've been wrong about being gay. And I need to re-examine all my beliefs because I know you and I love you and there's nothing wrong with you. And so I've been wrong. Oh, that just gives me goosebumps. What a powerful thing to say. It was the, it was just, it was mind blowing to me. She just right, right at that second flipped a switch and changed her opinion. So that was one of my better coming out moments. But, you know, over time, like I waited a little while to get used to just to process everything. And then I started dating some, I got on the her app and started going on some dates and that was fun. It was weird. My first, I was so nervous about my first lesbian date, but it ended up being super fun. (laughs) You know, I dated for, I don't know, two years, I guess on, you know, just different, a lot of first dates, not a lot of occasional second date, but either I liked them and they didn't like me or they liked me and I didn't like them. It was just never a good fit. And so I got off the dating app. I was like, I just, I don't want to deal with this anymore. You know, you meet some crazy people. You have some weird experiences when you're, you know, on a dating app. And so, (laughs) but no, I ended up, I got on back on the dating app. Well, okay. I was a little drunk at the time and I was with one of my lesbian friends and we were talking about (laughs) dating and she was like, you should just get back on the app and see. And I'm like, okay. So I got back on and I had never like disabled my account. So I had all these likes. So I'm just flipping through them and like swiping, you know, whichever direction. And the next morning I looked at it, I looked at the people I had swiped right on and I was like, no, I wouldn't date any of these people. (laughs) What was I thinking? But ultimately (laughs) I did actually find someone in that moment of getting back on the app. And so, so I'm now dating. I have, I've been with someone for six months, my first girlfriend. It's been very fun, Aww. you know, especially for someone who I thought I would never date again. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's been, it's been really, it's been fun. It's been a growing experience, of course, because there's been a lot to process and a lot to kind of work through for me, but she's lovely and has been very patient and, so it's, yeah, it's been really fun. The, the biggest coming out, and this is the first time I've told this story, was coming out to my mom, mm. my very religious mom who taught me that AIDS was God's judgment upon gay people back in the 80s and 90s. And so I was terrified to come out to her. So I waited for almost three years. I came out to her. I was out everywhere else. I was out to my friends. I was out professionally. I was out. I mean, I never like came out on social media, but I always, I've had a pride flag on my social media profiles for a long time. And anyway, that was the heart. One of the hardest things I have ever done. I went round and round for literally years trying to figure out how to do it and what to say and being prepared for her to just be done with me, fully prepared for that. I thought, 
this will be the end of it, but it was just getting unbearable to be around my relatives and be hiding who I was. It just, Mm -hmm. and I always felt so anxious when I was with them and I was so exhausted when I was done. And it's not like anything would happen, but I think it was just having that experience of hiding myself and being afraid of being found out. And I'm like, I'm a grown ass woman, but it's still, I think being raised to respect and obey your parents the way I was, it was so deeply ingrained that it was still really hard to disappoint my mom. I finally figured out what to say. I took a snippet of a TV show. It was was NCIS New Orleans, which probably people haven't even heard of because it was just a random NCIS spinoff that wasn't out that long. But there was a moment, there was a later in life lesbian character on that show and she was afraid to tell her mom. And so she was practicing with a coworker on what she would say. And what she said was absolutely brilliant. And so I literally recorded it and transcribed it. I got on the phone with my mom. I had my friend Kim, who was the like amazing one when I came out. She was on Zoom with me. My mom had no idea because I just wanted some moral support. So she was muted on Mm -hmm. Zoom, but it literally ended with the words, mom, I'm gay. The person I'm dating is not a man. It's a woman. And even now, a month later, I look back at the fact that I actually said that out loud to my mother and it just cracks me up. I'm like, I can't believe I actually finally did that. Now, we had had a moment two weeks before that. She had had knee surgery, my mom, while we were in the hospital waiting for her surgery because I had driven her. We spent like three hours together, which was very hard for me because I just knew she would start prying into my business and wanting to, you know, and it was just always so uncomfortable. And I got really good at just dodging questions. And, and so, but she asked me in that moment, she's like, are you dating? Do you date? And I said, yeah. And she's like, do you have anybody special? And I was like, yeah. And she was so excited. Oh my gosh. And oh. Oh, I'm so happy. I just a woman hoping you would find someone and you've just been on your own for so long. And da 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 And what's his name? <laughs> and I was like, and she's literally about to be wheeled back for surgery. And so I just said, you know, why don't we talk about this later? Let's just focus on your surgery right now. And she was a little pissed at me at the moment. She's like, well, I'm just trying to make conversation. I'm like, yeah, no, we'll talk about this later. So anyway, so we'd had that little precursory moment. And so, you know, I read this paper to her on the phone and, you know, there was silence for, it was probably a few seconds. It felt like a really long time. My friend Kim and I are looking at each other on the screen, like what's going to happen? Did she pass out? What's she going to do? I have no idea. My mom, one of the most homophobic people I know said, I love you. I so excited that you found someone and I just want you to be happy. And that wasn't even in the realm of possibility. She did not say one thing about religion. She did not say just nothing. There was nothing bad in what she said. It wasn't like, yeah, she tried her best. No, it was actually the response you'd want. And it blew my mind. Kim and I were looking at each other on Zoom. We're both bawling because it was like, what? How, what? You know, and she wanted to know about my girlfriend a little bit. And it was like, what? Are you kidding? Are you kidding? That is wild. It was, it was crazy. Now I'm writing a book about, about my coming out experience and how it was tied to religion and how, 
you know, kind of the story that I've told you elaborated on. It's called Better Late Than Straight. I also have a blog by that title if anybody wants to go find that. But as before, I told my mom that morning, I was so nervous. I had a nightmare the night before that I was being attacked by tigers. Like I was very <laughs> nervous about this. And so before I made the call, I thought, well, the worse her reaction is, the better that chapter in the book will be. And then afterward, after the whole thing was over, I thought, well, damn, my mom just ruined that in the book. <laughs> so anyway, but yeah, so that was not, that was, I, that wasn't even possible. Cause I mean, you've heard the horror yes. stories. I went on a date with a woman once yeah. whose mother literally threw up when she told her she leaned oh. over and threw up. So I, when I was talking to her, she said, yeah, when you told me in the hospital that you were dating someone, but you didn't want to tell me who it was. I thought, okay, there's some reason she thinks I'm not going to approve. And so she went through some scenarios, I think, of what that could be. And actually on the call, she said, I thought maybe you were dating a black man. And that would have been totally fine too. <laughs> I was like, okay, we still got some things to work on here. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, but anyway, so yeah. So I think she, the fact that we had that conversation in the hospital, which freaked me out, by the way, because I was like, I've, the cat's got like one foot out of the bag and there's no going back. I'm going to have yeah. to tell her. But I think that ended up working really well because it opened up possibilities to her. And at some point over that two weeks, she must have decided that she was going to choose me. Whatever I came up with, she was going to choose me over her religious beliefs, which is shocking to me because you're taught in fundamentalist Christianity, that God is first. If anyone should come to me and not hate their father and mother, their blah, 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 all their family, then they are not worthy of me. That's another verse in the Bible. The fact that my mom was willing to go, nah, no, I don't think so. I want a relationship with my daughter. It's just, it really, it gives me hope in this time that we're in where religious extremism and fundamentalist evangelical Christianity on the far end of it has gone so off the rails and the homophobia is so intense right now. There's so many laws and ridiculous, ridiculous things where queer people and trans people especially are feeling not even safe. And I'm in an area where yeah. it's not awesome. I'm in Texas. It's not awesome here. But to see my 85 year old mother be able to do that it gives me hope that people can actually change their views. People can actually let go of their homophobia when they're faced with that cognitive dissonance of, I believe this, but then I love this person. It is possible for people to choose the person over the belief. I would not have believed that from someone that entrenched. She's very, very religious at a very conservative church. And have your kids come out to her? No. No. And, you know, and that's entirely up to them. And if they, whatever they want to do with that. I yeah. mean, you know, I think about, cause I have a brother, he's married, he has three kids, they're all married. And, you know, I look at me, <laughs> I, you know, I look fairly stereotypically gay. Now I cut off two feet yeah. of hair. I stopped wearing makeup. I dress like a teenage boy, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I look pretty gay. And, you know, yeah. one of my kids is non-binary and they look non-binary. 
if you know anything, it would be hard to not. And I know that there are people who just are clueless and don't get it. And it's possible yeah. that nobody ever figured it out. But I have a feeling that probably my brother's kids will be like, well, yeah, duh. <laughs> so, yeah. but I don't know. Like my mom is the only one I've had the conversation with. She tends to not keep secrets. And so probably either she's not going to tell anybody because she's embarrassed or she's going to tell everybody. And I'm not sure which one right. is yet. I haven't seen the evidence, but. Oh my gosh. I just love that so much. It's so relatable. I think this is so many people's experiences and hopefully not for long. Like I'm hoping, you know, like kids, kids these days, it seems much less of a big deal. And I hope we can like keep on that trajectory because... Yeah, there's a lot of groups that are fighting against that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think about, you know, I was in high school in the 80s. Nobody was out. It was in Texas. Yeah. It was not safe. I was also in college in Texas and I was in the art school. I was a musician and even people there were not out. Like you knew some of the people who were queer because you yeah. just knew, but nobody was out loud about it at all because it just was not safe. When I saw the protest, yeah that the high school kids in Florida did over the don't say gay bill. Hundreds of kids are streaming out of schools with pride flags. Those were not all queer kids. And those were, when I saw those kids in support of the queer community and accepting the queer community, it was, it was very healing for me in a way. I mean, like they made me cry every single time I saw one of those because it was not like that when I was in high school. And I look at my kids, they figured out they're queer young. I was 50. They're young. And I, I really appreciate that. And that also gives me some hope. I love it. We just had in, on September 20th, there's this like group in Canada and they want to start using inclusive language in schools and including same sex or LGBTQIA sexual health within the school system. And there's a, it's called like 1 million March for kids, something stupid. And they're like marching to protest, getting, they're like, we don't want this in our schools. We don't want you indoctrinating our kids to be trans and gay and all this stuff. And I just think like, I was in school for 12 grades. They never had inclusive language. They had no representation. They had no sexual health for anything other than straight. And I'm a lesbian. So like, it obviously didn't work with what they were doing. So how then is being more inclusive going to damage children any more than what that did to, you know, my generation? And there was one of the biggest protests in Ottawa, which is our capital, had however many people show up for this anti-LGBTQ group. And they had twice as many counter protesters with like rainbow flags and trans signs and all this stuff. And it was so big, they like encircled the protesters and then the protesters couldn't actually protest because they had nowhere to go. Nice. (laughs) And I was like, good. Okay. It was uplifting to see the counter protests were pretty incredible. Yeah. I really feel like, and I think data backs this up, but the hate is from a minority they're just really loud and they have unfortunately i think with donald trump being president here he made it okay to be loud about your homophobia and your racism and your misogyny and all that stuff it's just people have felt emboldened to be loud about it and they're very loud about it i'm so 
appreciative and thankful that you reached out to share your story. And yeah, I think everybody needs to hear more stories like this. Thank you. Yeah. What is the best place for people to find you? Are you sharing your story online? I think the work that you do is really interesting. Do you have an online platform? Yes. So I kind of have two because I have my professional copywriting stuff and then I have my better late than straight stuff. So if you're looking for that, I have a blog. It's better late than straight.com. I also, if you are, um, if you are in the process of coming out later in life, or if that's something that you relate to, I do have a, I put together a resource guide that I need to update. Hopefully I'll up, get it updated by the time this comes out. Because when I first came out, I just wanted to, I mean, I wanted to find all the people I needed, the community I wanted to learn, I wanted to understand. And so I put together this resource guide of, you know, blogs and social media creators and groups and just different places you can find help and understanding. So if you're interested in that, there's a little thing on my website, you can fill it out. It will put you on my email list that I've never actually emailed. <laughs> so uh, you may, uh, I may have <laughs> start emailing you, but you can always unsubscribe if you don't want that. You can find me as better late than straight on Instagram. I'm technically on TikTok, but I don't actually make anything. I just watch other people's stuff. Mostly. <laughs> but so yeah, you can connect with me on Instagram there. And then as far as copywriting, I have a copywriting website, which is Kathy Kiger Agency. And then I am Kathy Kiger Copywriter on Instagram for that. Amazing. Great. And I will link in our show notes and I'll tag you on everything on social media so people can easily find you. Cool. And yeah, thank you so much. I will let you get on with your day and enjoy your Sunday. Thank you. And thanks so much for having me. This was really fun. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. I hope you found our conversation informative and entertaining. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to follow me on social media, share this podcast with your friends, and leave a review at ratethispodcast.com slash I did not sign up for this. Your support means the world to me. If you want more interviews, exclusive content, and ad-free episodes, join the Patreon at patreon.com slash I did not sign up for this. I hope you all have a fantastic week ahead, and we'll talk soon. Hey there. Welcome to 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I'm Lindsay, and I'm joined by my co-host and real-life partner, Carling. We're diving into the 90s hit drama through today's lens. Get ready for our off-the-cuff commentary and peeling back the layers of the Camden family. We'll tackle everything from family rules, life lessons, and 90s fashion. Join us every week for a light-hearted queer perspective and a trip down memory lane. Whether you're a die-hard fan or new to the show, this recap is for you. So find us anywhere you get your podcasts at 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap.